This week, I am thrilled to introduce you to Sarah Emhoff. She is a culture coach and the founder of The Huddle, which is a virtual experience that brings together total strangers so that we can all enjoy feeling more connected, particularly during these difficult times. Throughout the different phases and stages of her own career, her priority has always been on helping people recognize how important it is to be connected in order to have an influence in the greater world, as well as to support our personal well-being. I know you'll have a lot of fun in this conversation that I shared with Sarah. Thanks for joining us. Hey there, friends. Are you looking for tools to resolve stress, reliable information to support your whole health, tips to help you motivate yourself, and identify when motivation is fading before it happens, implementation, accountability, and someone to remind you to celebrate even the small successes, where you could find tools you can use and accountability in a community that cheers you on, where information about health trends and lifestyle is reliable and straightforward. I know that you have what it takes to up-level your health habits and restore your resilience. You just might need a boost to start building momentum. I've designed a membership where you can choose the level of support you'd like to get every month, whether it's tuning in to connect with like-minded change makers or getting personalized support with one-on-one coaching to help you chart your path to success. Check out the link for the Velocity membership at happifiedlife.com. Special pre-launch pricing is now available for premium support, but you can jump in for free. If you just want to test the waters, I look forward to seeing you inside. Living in a stressful world doesn't mean you have to give up on happiness. Instead, you can shift your perspective of stress and discover how to live your life in flow. Welcome to Happified. I'm your host, Susie Vine. Join me for inspiration and interviews with folks who are shining their light in the world in the areas of positive mindset, health, and wellness. I'm so happy to have you here. Welcome back. I'm so excited to share with you today a conversation with Sarah Emhoff. She's passionate about creating community, which I think is so important today when we're feeling more isolated and a little more loneliness than we were even before, which has definitely been on the rise. So taking a look at how we can stay connected, even in the digital age. Excited to see what Sarah can share with us through the course of our conversation. So let me start by telling you a little bit about our guest. Sarah is a recovering perfectionist who daylighted as a successful professional and moonlighted as a woman paralyzed by anxiety. Despite her very purpose-driven career, she found working remotely and approaching middle age made her feel like it was time for her to step out into uncertainty and trust that the universe had her back. That's got my vote. Sometimes we got to take that first step and get excited about what finds us. In 2016, after a trip to Kenya, Sarah left an organization she loved and began her journey as an entrepreneur. This journey revealed her deep-seated desire to lean into her creative side and become part of a community of like-minded people. During COVID, she's created The Huddle, a creative collision of strangers and has built business around creating more authentic community for individuals and organizations. Sarah, thank you for joining me. Absolutely. I'm excited to be here, Susie. So 
And I love that you've had some different phases and stages along the way. I've had a variety of different work, you know, and I like to say, although my path hasn't been linear, it's definitely been concentric circles and led me to where I recognize now I should be. (laughs) So I'd love to hear a little bit about your journey. What was the kind of work that you were doing before you came to this space and recognition? That's a great question. I I'm very lucky. I have spent most of my career, as I affectionately said it, (laughs) spreading democracy. So I was a political science major. I studied politics and education and planned to be a social studies teacher because I really had this experience in high school where I felt like none of the students I went to school with like cared or like understood what was going on. And like all these decisions were being made and I was involved in student government and whatnot. So Classically, I like went to school, studied it, and was like, I'm going to teach students how to be active citizens. And in that process, I found a civic education nonprofit in Washington, D.C., right? Actually, when I was in college, I found them. And they bring together students from all over the United States and even internationally to go through a whole like civics boot camp, understanding their political identity and like going to Congress and talking with Congress members about their opinions and just really giving them the tools and the knowledge to be informed and engaged and know that their voice matters, no matter what their political beliefs were. And that was the great thing. It was a collision right there of students from all over. So I worked for them for most of my career. And it was really, like I said, purpose-driven. I felt very on purpose, very connected. And then in my last position in that job, I was doing community outreach and I was a remote worker. And so I was on purpose, but I was far away from them. So it was, it changed things a bit, but that's most of my work is really in civic education and creating, helping young people create change. And then I also studied coaching. So we'll probably get to that later, but I saw how the two intertwined, like why civic mindfulness is really similar to the like personal change. So if you want to create change in your community, it's about the same process as creating change for yourself. Yes. And I think that's so powerful because I remember too, my social studies teachers Mm -hmm. in middle school and in high school and the impact that they had, you know, as they were just trying to bring home. I grew up in a little town in central Illinois and they're talking about conflict in Bangladesh. And it was just so removed from our awareness and the power that they had to bring it all back and say, this is why this matters. This is why we need to be engaged. And so I think that's terrific to be part of a group that's bringing minds together. Yeah. Oh, good. And I'm so glad you had a good social studies teacher because not everybody did. And it is true. Like it's to me, social studies and learning that in school is about understanding your role in a greater system, right? And understanding that your voice in that system matters. And you also have to build consensus and compromise with other people in the system. These are some good skills. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Civics. Everybody, maybe adults should be taking civics classes again. (laughs) I think there could be a lot of value in that. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But certainly seeing how our part, we might feel like we're not a significant part of this larger unit, but the value of participating and showing up. Yeah. So then through time, you started to see this connection between social engagement and personal health and happiness. So how do you see Mm -hmm. those two come together? Yeah, well, I guess part of it, you know, in full transparency, and you know, my bio is that, you know, I was paralyzed by anxiety, but by day, I was the top producing outreach member, you know, doing all of the right things, making everyone happy. My first experience with anxiety and depression happened when I was in college. 
and I was on the soccer team, but I had been injured. So I was not playing. I was in the like training room for like a month and a half. It was just not, I was not healing. So a really hard depression. And in retrospect, years later, as I went through and kind of looked back, I realized that for me, my mental health is very directly related to feeling connected to something bigger than myself, right? And my, my friends, my team, and physical movement. And at that point in my life, I didn't have either. I was not moving my body and my friends were all out on the soccer team and I was in the room and my other friends who didn't play soccer had all gone off to join fraternities and sororities. So I was really kind of alone. And so I knew that in my 20s. And then working in civic education and seeing these students, I saw the power in these social bonds. Like I saw the power in creating an environment where everyone felt like they belonged and that their voices were respected and their opinions were respected. And so I already kind of knew how important that was for change and for a good democracy. Everyone has to feel like their voice matters and that they could be respected. And then I started studying coaching. So I started with a holistic life coaching program, which was fantastic because it was about looking at the entire person and all the different aspects of life and how you interact with yourself, how you interact with others, your environment, all of it. And then I went deeper because I thought it was so interesting and studied a lot of the brain-based coaching skills and learned how our brain is wired more for fear than change. And as I was going through and studying that, I was observing students on our civics program. And I really had this aha moment of like, Gandhi was right. Like change starts with you. It really is about the individual. And if you are not willing to look at your own bias, your own fears, your own limiting beliefs and make yourself show up the best you can, like a community can't do that either. Right. So if like we want the United States or we want your, if you want your state to be better, like we have to look at what's working. We have to look at what might be holding us back. We have to look at what patterns and beliefs might be keeping us where we are. It's the same thing we do as individuals. So I hope that makes sense because it's kind of like, you know, high up there. But that was really it. I had this aha watching the students and saying, this is the same process. And so I really felt drawn to helping people and especially teens because teen anxiety, as you probably know, is through the roof. And I was observing and noticing the reasons my students have so much anxiety is because they don't feel like they belong to anything. They don't feel connected. And that is going to produce a lot of anxiety. That's really fascinating. I haven't looked at it through that lens. Personally, I've been really Mm -hmm. blessed and haven't had to reckon with the grips of anxiety like I know so many people have. But I think that's really powerful, especially looking at that parallel rise of anxiety and depression and social media use. And I'm one of, I'm sure, countless people who saw the social dilemma and was like, oh my gosh, what am I doing online? But the effect of that on our kids as a part of their awareness, as part of the lens through Mm -hmm. which they see society, right? And limiting their engagement, that social face-to-face, learning how to have conversations with people so that we can continue to have conversations as adults, right? We have to learn those skills. And I was really interested too, to kind of change tack on you suddenly, but when you said this way that we're wired, and this is something that I've been chewing on a lot lately too, is this resistance that so many people have to change. Because again, and maybe these kind of go hand in hand, but I've always been fine with change. I don't need a consistent schedule. I've moved around a lot and done a lot of different work in different cities. And I think it's an adventure, right? Maybe that makes me kind of an adrenaline junkie that I love that stress of finding out new things. 
But when you said that it's we're more likely to come from fear than embrace change, I think that's a really fascinating correlation. Could you expand on that just a little? Yeah. And it's interesting because some people I've heard people say it's not so much change that I'm not okay with. It's uncertainty, especially in this last (laughs) year or two, right? It's like, it feels like a different thing, but um, no, I think it is important. And, And to be honest, this is kind of simple if you think about how your brain works. And I hope this can be helpful to some people listening out there who have anxiety of like, it's completely normal to have anxiety. And if you talk through your brain and you strengthen different parts of your brain, you can literally get through this. You'll be more resilient. It's like going to the gym and saying like, if your right arm is really strong and your left arm's not, there's going to be an imbalance. So you just got to work on making your left arm stronger. But simply put, it's really just primal. So our fear center brain or where the amygdala operates is a reptilian brain. And it's there to make us safe. It's there to make sure that we survive. It's there to make sure we don't die. And thank goodness for that, right? We need it. And it's the part of our brain that we needed the most early, early on. And then the prefrontal cortex, which is in like the front part of the brain is more in charge of your trust your sense of belonging with the community, your creative problem solving, your ability to see patterns and strategy. And it's a later evolved part of the brain. So it's not always as strong. And we're living in a world with a lot of alerts, right? So our fear center brain is constantly being triggered. So many of us are walking around with that on full power. And then the prefrontal cortex is over here, like, is anyone going to listen to me? (laughs) So, yeah. So that is some of like really the basis of a lot that I do, including the huddles. And even with my coaching is I'm helping people literally strengthen the muscles of their prefrontal cortex and just saying, listen, I'm going to put you on a workout. And at the end of this workout, you're going to feel more balanced. And so um, that's really what it is. And there's different activities we can do, but we are living in a very fear triggering culture. So it's difficult. But the good news is it's not that like, if you just look at the brain, it's just a matter of strength balancing out the the different parts of the brain. Yes. I love that. And I love that idea, that concept, right? Like we have the power to shift, to take control back from that primitive Mm -hmm. reflexive reaction and put it where we want it to be more considered and how we create the outcome. And I was just looking into resilience for a little weekend workshop that I shared. And I found it really interesting in research that about a third of people kind of have an innate resilience, but the rest really are in that space where you have to acquire the skills of resilience. And those don't come from living the easy life. Those come from falling down and picking yourself back up, from getting frustrated and you know finding the way to recover from mm-hmm. social situations so many different opportunities to create resilience, but it's the tougher times and it's definitely a skill, right? It's, it's training that brain and that opportunity of neuroplasticity is so exciting because we really can change our reaction. We're not limited to the way that we perceive stress or the way that we perceive our role in society. If we don't feel engaged, we can, we can start to shift that. And yeah, I want to dig into the huddles because I had a chance to drop in on one last week and it was so much fun in the course of one hour to make connections with completely new people and just have, I mean, it just kind of sparks off in your mind, right? Opportunities or ideas or solves other situations that are going on. I love how, you know, it all comes together. So when did you start the huddles? Yeah, and it was so fun to have you there. 
in it. It was a fun time, but I started them that last April. So basically when COVID was full blown here and it really was organic. I had always wanted to bring together 10 people from my life who were very interesting. And I always thought like, if these people all met each other, imagine what would happen. And I had always thought like, well, I have to rent a Airbnb and we're going to have this whole weekend and it's going to be, you know, very reality TV type, but nobody was going <laughs> to do that. They have some have kids. And then when COVID happened, I was like, oh, I could just do this on Zoom. So I did. I invited, I called up all these people and some I knew well, some I didn't know as well, but I met and they were like a soul connection. So I brought them into this room and I had created a whole hour long experience that my main goal was how can I make these people be friends as quickly as possible? And, you know, in full transparency, I did this every week with students when I worked on the civics program, like every Sunday night, we always had our Sunday night workshop. And the whole purpose of that workshop was community building. So I've done this a lot and I like doing it. So I brought in a lot of my tools and techniques and then threw in some of the brain-based stuff. And yeah, so I created that and they had so much fun. They're like, well, when do we get together again? And then I said, well, what if you paid it forward? What if you invited the most interesting person that you knew? And those 10 strangers all came next week and then they got to meet each other. And they were like, well, do we come back? And I, I was literally figuring out on the spot. And I was like, no, actually, I don't think you come back. <laughs> I think, I think this just becomes like an experiment extension, but then I wound up doing like a monthly where I brought everybody back. So that's really how it started. And then from there, people were like, oh my gosh, if you're doing this with strangers and creating this kind of connection, imagine what you could do for my company because we're all working remotely and not feeling connected. So it just was like a natural extension. And I think that's really powerful too, because through the course of the last year, I was able to talk with some corporate teams about burnout and the traits that set us up to be ideal employees can set us up to fall mm. into burnout, kind of identifying through the quality of our work and really wanting to please people. And that when we're working remotely, suddenly that whole dynamic changes. It's harder to read social cues in a meeting on Zoom. You feel like you're out of the loop. You know, some people are just quicker on the Zoom microphone than others, right? And so yeah, the whole dynamic shift. So I think that's really powerful that it started moving into that corporate space. So how much have you been able to do with that? Yeah, so quite a bit like it's and it's really been people who've been in the huddle that say, I'm, you know, I'm going to introduce you to this group. And so and we've hit everything like I've worked with schools, I've worked with nonprofits, I've worked with like Peloton, big wellness companies, and then companies that are about 100 people, smaller groups. And I have become I mean, the way we, we, we talk about the huddle is like creating connection and fun in a remote and serious world. And I think the world has been so serious that we actually feel bad when we're having fun. And so I am actually making the case that it's like, you know what, this is now is the time you need to have fun. Because if you don't, that fear center is going to run the show. And you're going to be thinking very much just what can I get done today? What can I get done in the next hour? As opposed to thinking long term, our world just changed completely. We just moved into a new era. So you need to reserve space for creative thinking doing things differently. And so that's part of what the huddle does. It's like, it literally puts people in the snow globe and like shakes up, like go play with each other, like go create something silly. And it's amazing. The, the results, you know, people have at the end, they're like, oh my gosh, I, I think one of the women was saying, I've been trying to figure out the focus for my book. Like I've been wanting to write a book for years. And she's like, I figured it out today in the huddle from talking with these people. 
I was like, well, fantastic. I had no idea that that was your plan, but that's exactly the kind of sparks that we were hoping to create. Thank you for that recognizing, because that's a place that I've kind of struggled with too, is I don't want people to think through my work that I'm not taking seriously what everybody's going through right now, because it is no small thing and it's Mm -hmm. different for everybody. And at the same time, I've chosen to try to come from a place where I'm staying at a higher vibration, where I'm trying to stay in more positive emotions so that if somebody needs that lift, they can find that through what I'm sharing because we do need to lift ourselves up. And thank you. We need to stop feeling guilty about finding some happiness or joy or play, even in the midst of heavy times. Yeah, I think that's, so that's a great point. And I think I really loved what you said earlier about sometimes the qualities that make us the best employees can also lead to burnout. And I have found with like leaders, like who is supporting our leaders? Because they're the ones that have to hold this space. And if they're not investing in their play and their mental health, it can really domino down. And it might seem really hard for them to justify playtime, you know, and doing that. And so I'm really trying to disrupt that at this point and sit and be unapologetically playful and think of it as it's as important play and connection, right? Playing with people, not just doing always by yourself. Play and connection are, is the workout. It's the gym workout that you need for your brain. Yes. Yes. And a lot and more fun. <laughs> and more fun, right? Yeah. And I love the work of Sean Aker. So I quote his little tidbits of his research all the time, but they're demonstrating that our brains work better when you come from a positive state of mind. So it's even better, right? If, if you need permission, there's permission. <laughs> Let yourself be happy and start to reap yeah. the benefits of that right? Better collaboration. You're more outgoing and confident. You're more successful at sales. I mean, it's the kind of cycle of energy that it's actually enjoyable and beneficial rather than letting yourself drop down that, you know, spiral. Yeah. Yeah. And, and without ignoring people's feelings, it's not the idea isn't just to stuff it, but almost just allow, we can also get addicted to being kind of depressed and being like a victim or being like, everything's so hard. Everything's so busy, right? I hear that from everybody. I'm so busy that this is literally like a shake it up and you're like, but I'm not too busy to laugh. Yeah. Get new perspective. And I love that some of these tools that you brought into the huddles came from your work with the kids because it does, it brings that spirit of play, right? So would we be revealing too much if you gave us like an example of what people (laughs) kind of work through in one of the breakout rooms in your huddle? Yeah. Yeah. I can reveal like a little secret and then uh, hopefully it'll get them to want to do more, but um, sign up and come. (laughs) Sign up and come. Exactly. Exactly. There's a whole wave to it. So the the different activities are designed to create the experience on this kind of ride. So I'm setting people up with, and there's a balance that, you know, it's fun, but it's also meaningful conversations. Right. But one of my favorite activities is actually having everyone bring a book that they're reading and the idea is to give people opportunities to share about themselves, but not in a really networking way. So each, when I put people in a breakout rooms on that one, when we do the book launch, I have them each share about the book that they're reading, which generally the book you're reading tells a little bit about you, right? Like if you're reading something that's like nonfiction, a biography, or if it's a fiction writer you love. And then as a group, you need to take one word from each of the titles of the books you're reading and create a whole new book title. And then create a little plot for this new book. And it is so fun because the groups come back and they have these like 
crazy book titles. And some of them were like that. You need to write that book. That's amazing. (laughs) So it's just creation, sharing a little bit about yourself and then creating something together. So that's just one of the, one of my favorite activities to do. And I do think, I do predict, I think there could be some bestsellers coming out of Huddle collaborations. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) quite some, some, uh, I should keep track of all the titles we've come up with. And so through talking with strangers, like what are some of the benefits? Like how is that strengthening some of these skills that make us, Mm. how does that lead us to a better, happier place? Yeah, I'm glad you asked that particular question. There's actually research that shows like talking with strangers is good for our health. Like primarily the collisions that we have at the supermarket or, you know, out and about at a coffee shop actually remind us that we are connected to this greater network of humanity. And this is why isolation has been, it was skyrocketing before COVID and loneliness. But when you're isolated, sometimes you just don't get out there. And so it's something, again, we need to force ourselves to do because just literally being around other human beings reminds us we're tribal creatures, that we are connected and fires off different things in the brain. Not to mention your social graces. Like we've seen that people's social anxiety and social awkwardness is going up. And I'm an extrovert and I do a lot of networking, but even myself, I'm noticing like going back into that whole world of, you know, interacting with so many different people because it's a muscle that's been quieter for a while. So really just literally connecting with strangers is part of our wiring, part of us as humanity. In addition to that, your social health. So the, basically your feeling of how connected you are to a group, you belong somewhere is actually a greater predictor of your lifelong happiness and your lifelong health than your fitness levels. So I had like wrote a blog, I think a while ago, and it was like, drop your gym clothes, hang out with your friends. And that is fascinating to me because we've gotten to this world of that. We, Oh, I'm so busy. I've got to work, work, work. And our social health is declining. So it's really important that we feel like we are connected and that people have our backs. And if we're not investing in those relationships, they're stagnating. So we need to have that social connection. And then even on a greater level, there's research that shows that Robert Putnam is a great researcher with this. If anyone wants to look him up, he's a professor at Harvard University, but he really talks about the more diverse your network is too, in terms of economic diversity, racial diversity, diversity of thought the more success you see in life. Your education levels tend to be higher. The civic engagement of your community is higher. Your health is better. So it's really making the case for pay attention to your social health. Absolutely. And in the work that I did before I kind of moved into this space of holistic health and and stress and resilience, I was working with senior clients. And that's when I first became aware that As we become more isolated without social engagement, it can actually kind of exacerbate or accelerate cognitive decline. So when we become more isolated and less engaged, we don't have that stimulation that keeps us, right? That fires us up and keeps us young. And and I think that's so telling. So I think I heard that recently too, you know, as we keep looking at the blue zones and what's the secret to their longevity. And I think I also read that socialization is such a huge part in those communities, right? And so it's just another way to demonstrate that, yeah, that power of connection is so powerful. Yeah, absolutely. And I love that, you know, the work with seniors, that's something I feel like senior research has known for a long time, right? Is that's the importance of having visitors to nursing homes and having activities to keep their cognitive from declining anymore Mm -hmm. and improving it. 
Now, side note of this is I actually am part of a dance community and I teach these conscious dance with other, which is great because it's moving with other people without it being, there's no choreograph. So you each get to do your own thing, but you're dancing together. And as I've gotten into the research with that, they found that dancing is actually the number one way to decrease cognitive decline in seniors, that they get to connect with other people, move their bodies and laugh. (laughs) Oh my gosh. It's the trifecta. It is. It is the trifecta. So answer is if you want to be happy, dance more. (laughs) I like that. I advocate that more dance, more dance. Really? It's that easy. (laughs) That's one of the things. and, And I worry that I start to sound like a broken record, but you just gave me permission to say it all over again, that I really recommend as we've moved to working from home and then how do you separate? I mean, work life balance was hard before, but now that we're working at home, you know, just to kind of break up the workday and put a stop to it. I love to suggest people have a dance party and whatever music it is that you can't help but move to for whatever period of time, you know, 10, 15 minutes and just move your body, loosen up, change your frame of mind, you know, disengage from that work stress so that you can enjoy your time off. Yeah, that's a really good point. I mean, as someone who worked remotely for 10 years and now help companies with this, that break from the day is really important. And music is a really music and movement are a really powerful way to do that. And I actually, if anyone is interested on my LinkedIn every Monday, I just posted one today. I post a um, Monday musical motivation that's like for different feels and different things. So if anyone wants to have a Monday one dropped in from they, if you connect with me on LinkedIn, you'll get one that way. I'm so there. Yeah, I just posted a song today, uh, Floating Sweetness. So I'll drop that to you guys. It's by DJ Drez. And it's just an amazing connection between what feels like an angelic feel and a grounding drum. So I really have loved it during COVID because I feel like when I listen to that song, it really calms me out and makes me feel both grounded and like connected to something bigger. Beautiful. I love that. I'm excited to check that out. So we'll definitely have a link to your LinkedIn in the show notes. And I wanted to mention too, so If people are hearing you talk about the benefit of these huddles for your workplace, Mm -hmm. for your corporate team, your website, Moga Living, is where they can Mm -hmm. learn about working Mm -hmm. with you in that regard too. Yeah. So we have those on, if you want to join one of the individual ones or bring one to your organization, you can find that info there. Yes. Awesome. Awesome. And so coming back around too, to when we were talking about the uncertainty, right? And I think that's really interesting, the difference between struggling with change and struggling with uncertainty. I think we're kind of reaching a a point of fatigue with this period of uncertainty that we've been operating within. How does play help us become more resilient or comfortable in that space? Yeah, that's a great question. And there is a difference. I think change is when you sort of, sometimes you know there's a change coming and you're like, I know I'm going, I'm moving from this house into that house. (laughs) Uncertainty is when like, you don't know when the move is coming. You don't know if it's happening and you're not really sure where you're going to be living, right? Those are two very different experiences. But with play, the beautiful thing about play is that it's non-linear generally. So it's, more of a circular thing. It doesn't have boundaries. It doesn't have to just make sense. It doesn't have to make sense. You just move forward and you grow and expand and there's, you know, can try a creative solution. And the more you play, and we know kids do this all the time, the more comfort you grow with nonlinear thinking. 
and allowing things to jump forward and then backwards and then sideways, it's like becomes fun and it's curious, where is this going to go? And so play is really just a chance to practice that and remind your brain that this is what you did naturally as a kid. I mean, most kids are like, they know how to play and they're probably handling COVID better, you know, some of the uncertainty better because they're very much more present as well. So I think play really is the the way of practicing non-linear thinking, which is what, especially as type A's, you know, and perfectionists <laughs> are like, I'm going to do this. And then on Tuesday, this is going to happen. And then next week, it's going to look like this. And then my bank account's going to go like this. That is extremely linear and it's extremely controlling. Play is about circular. It's going to happen. It might go forward. It might go backwards. And I'm curious about where it's going to go. I'm not trying to control where it's going to go. And I think there's kind of a a nimbleness, right? You have to kind of Mm -hmm. stay limber when it could come from any direction. The solution is unknown and what you're working with is changing. And that agility, I think, is really powerful too to tap into, to break us out of that. Well, if I can't work in my typical linear pattern, I'm offline. I'm, you know, it's haywire. I can't continue. I need to resolve this. There's no way around that, right? Until we break ourselves out of that. And I'm sure a lot of people, you know, who are managing or leading people now know the ones that they're struggling with the most are the ones that really have a hard time with uncertainty, right? And they're, they're, they're legit struggling and they're like, just tell me, I want this to be in boxes and I want to know this and that. And personally, I prefer managing people who are more agile and more limber, like you said, who say, okay, this is different than how we did it before, but like, let's give it a shot. We need both. But it can be a challenge when you're managing people, when there's massive amounts of change and uncertainty happening. And as managers, I think too, this is why companies really need to be looking at infusing play and be unapologetic about it to say, like, let's help everyone improve our our mental agility because this is a weird time and we don't want to suffer through it. We want to thrive through it. Exactly. Exactly. Because of that unknown factor, right? How long we'll be working from home, the shape of things as they're coming up. We do have to remain flexible. So even at the same point at which we are definitely experiencing fatigue, I can see it. I can see people wearing thin, like they've just had it. We've got to kind of mix it up a little bit, find other things to engage with, right? Permission to have fun (laughs) while the rest of things continue to sort themselves out. And trust mm-hmm. that we're going to keep moving forward. We're not stuck and we're not staying in this place. You know, it's, it's a process. Yeah. So I love to ask too, as I have guests on, do you have yourself any practices that you find really supportive in helping you stay balanced or when you notice you're in that higher level of stress, how do you come back? Oh, I don't get stressed out anymore. Are you kidding? Oh, you're healed. (laughs) Yeah, right. Um, No. And if anyone ever tells you that, like run away. People who are so zen kind of freak me out. (laughs) I'm like being human. Yeah, I do. I have a couple go-tos and I'm, I'm happy to share. And I think we already touched on one and dance and movement, right? So music is such a simple way to change your mindset and, you know, shift gears. And as people are working remote, making sure movement, like move with music. I don't say dance to most people. I say just move. So if moving means stretching to you, if it means swaying, and these are the kinds of things that would have been weird at the office, right? It would have felt weird for you to get up and like play your music and do that. But I don't care. It's not weird. Like do it at home. 
And it's like, this is a non-negotiable, just do it. Like get up and take your five minute break. You're not that important. You can take five minutes to breathe and to move around. Right. So I think that, and I create playlists. So, you know, playlists that take me through different things. So I think, you know, moving to music is just an easy, keep it as part of your life. And like I said, you don't have to be Justin Timberlake. You can just move to it. You can take a walk to it, but let it, you know, let it sink in. And that's also for someone like me who I do struggle meditating. I have a very active brain. I know there's probably a lot of other people out there that meditating is like the last thing they want to do. And I can do it at times. But to me, if I engage my body and I'm moving, I really can shut my brain down and be present. So to me, it's a moving meditation. So that's my one tool. The other one that I just love, and I'm so grateful when it was introduced to my life, is to my life, is doing daily acknowledgements. Working from home for so many years, like there were very few high fives. There were very few, like when I would have a bad client email come through or something fall through, there was like nobody to talk to. And then when something great happened, there's nobody to talk to. Someone had a coach had introduced to me acknowledgements and she said, you need to acknowledge yourself. Gratitude is good. Do your gratitude, but acknowledgement's going to build your self-compassion. So I really, every day, not always every day, but I've done a really good job of keeping it a regular activity. I'll write down at least five acknowledgements of myself. And it could be like, you got in the shower today. Good job. You didn't have to. You fed your dog. You didn't have to. So it really, especially as a perfectionist and as a type A, like I didn't have to do Nobel Peace Prize winning things. And I find that when I do get stressed or when my anxiety is up, I shift over into like a pause and say, okay, what, what can you acknowledge yourself for today? And it does slow that down and stops the spiral. So acknowledgement is another big tool. Mm, I really love that because the gratitude practice gets tons of good press because it is yeah. powerful. You know, it's really effective. It it trains our brain to seek out those things, right? Because as I think we've touched on before and going through that primitive part of our brain holds on to the stress and the difficult times because that was how we survived. But we can train our brains to put more value on the good things and the happier times, right? Like, oh, yeah. this seems to matter to you. You make me make a list of it every night. So I'll recognize it when it comes up through the course of the day. And I think that acknowledgement practice is so powerful too. And I've heard it recommended before also for, yeah, when you're just struggling to feel like you've met your milestones or what have you, you know, when you're showing up, you know, when you're not giving yourself credit and we're so outcome oriented, we think, oh, I have to meet that finish line in order to celebrate my progress. And mm. so I love to remind people to celebrate the small wins, right? To take a look at between here and there. What are some things you'll recognize when you'll get there and say, oh, I made progress to get here. How can I celebrate yeah. this? We do it for kids. Like I, when I talk to my clients and, and I do this as an activity with clients often is like, you know, if you have children, when your kids were little, were you celebrating every little step they took? You know, did you celebrate the first time they had solid food? Like you did. So start, like, why did we decide to stop doing that for ourselves? Just keep celebrating the little things that you're doing. Yes. More music, more celebration. Exactly. <laughs> Equals happiness. Equals happiness. It's quite simple. <laughs> Not to say, and, and I appreciate you pointed out earlier too. And so I definitely want to come back around to this, you know, with authenticity, not just saying, well, I should be happier. And so I'm going to go through the motions and not feel it. Sometimes that can start to shift it and help to bring you to it. But I never advocate being for the sake of it or inauthentically happy. As you mentioned before, yeah. when 
you feel the anxiety coming up and then you choose to start shifting it for yourself by getting into this practice of acknowledgments. We can make the choice, you know, and start to shift ourselves. So it's not like flipping a switch. It's not that easy, but it can be done. Yeah, definitely. And it's sometimes it's really hard to be grateful. You know, if you're in it and you're in the thick of something and I've done it and wrote down, like, I'm grateful for coffee. I'm grateful for the sunshine. And like, I am. So I do get a little bit of a reminder. But when you're in the thick of it and you're going through something really hard, just saying like, I acknowledge myself for going through this. You know, I acknowledge myself for living through a pandemic and that my company is going through layoffs. Like I acknowledge myself for getting up today and facing it. That might be the more real and authentic thing to do than say, I'm grateful for coffee for some people. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Thank you so very much. This has been such a treat. And we'll have, as I mentioned, all of the links in the show notes so people can drop in on a huddle. Don't be intimidated. Everybody there is a stranger. It's not like it's a circle of friends and you're the new kid. We're all new kids and we get to have fun together. That is really the thrill of it. And I love that you're creating this in the world and, and helping teams and helping individuals and spark enough great ideas. Yeah, bringing the play and connection and that's the fun thing. But thank you so much. It's been such a great, great to connect with you. And I hope that your listeners are, um, have got some new tools. Yes, I'm a big fan of tools for the toolbox. So there's some great ones in this one. So thank you for sharing. I appreciate your time and your energy. And I look forward to the next huddle. Perfect. See you there. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for tuning in today. Check out the show notes for any links we mentioned. To learn more about living life with less stress and more flow, visit happifiedlife.com. And if you found value in today's episode, make sure you subscribe to catch the next one and leave a review to help fellow pod surfers find Happified. Until next time, keep on shining.